You're listening to the following program on TFN Audio from the Fantasy Network, where independent creators and fans of fantasy, sci-fi, horror, and gaming meet to create, stream, and support the shows that they love. Creator-distributed, fan-supported, that's TFN. Find this and many more great programs at watch.thefantasy.network slash audio. Stephen D. Sullivan and St. Euphoria present... Atomic Tales! Stories of science, mystery, and excitement. This episode features the latest installment in our fantastic original series, Strange Invaders. Tonight, we learn the aftermath of our last tale and then return to the beginnings of this weird saga as our agents recall the arrival of the ants. Join us now as we present another in our continuing series of Atomic Tales. A 50-foot woman? Secretary Gigi Brock blurted as we shared lunch in the quadrangle. How will the agency ever cover that up? She laughed. (laughs) No pun intended. I mean... How will communications explain what happened in a way that won't cause a nationwide panic, Agent One? Despite being the daughter of the U.S. Science Bureau's military liaison, General Edward Brick Brock, Gigi didn't have the confidence in the agency that we old hands do. I set my BLT down on the picnic table and explained. I heard on the radio today that a freakish tornado did the damage to Reno. It also caused the malfunction of a prototype 3D film system in one of the ruined show palaces, which then projected images of a scantily clad showgirl into the dust kicked up by the storm. Gigi took a bite of her egg salad sandwich. Wow, with 3D movies all the rage now, that's almost believable. I smiled. Janice is good at her job, but these recent incidents are becoming harder to explain away. The freakish fireflies, wasps, and even the dragonflies weren't that difficult to keep under wraps. But once the giant ants showed up... I wasn't able to read that far into the files, Gigi said, flopping her sandwich onto her table napkin. My dad, I mean the general, doesn't think I'm agent material. That raised my hackles. I think the Terragons and Agent Zero get to decide who qualifies as an agent. So listen, here's how I first encountered the ants. The Army and Agent 5 had wiped out the dragonflies, the wasps, and even the harmless giant fireflies. The mutant insect flap was over, or so we thought. But a strange missing persons case, plus reports of lights in the sky in Daviesville, near the site of the original incursion, had the Terragons wondering if some fireflies had escaped extermination. So, back to Colorado I went, with orders to bring a specimen back alive. Yeah, I seen them ghost lights. Old Tom Davies told me as we trekked the wooded hillsides near the abandoned Daviesville mines. Seen them darting above the mountaintops. Near the mines, I asked. Local gold deposits had petered out decades ago. Daviesville was little more than a ghost town now. Some locals hung on, though, like Davies, whose family had founded the town after striking gold in the 1890s. Every once in a while, some local or a traveling prospector decided to try his or her luck in a decommissioned mining tunnel. Lately, a few folks hadn't returned, including two Daviesville miscreants and an alleged mining expert from Pennsylvania. The locals had searched, but their hearts weren't really in it. 
One of the men had been a drunkard, the other beat his wife, and nobody liked the interloper from Pennsylvania. Besides, bears still lived in these hills, which is why I had a shotgun slung across my back, in addition to my usual sidearm. Bears, plus people moving out of the dying town overnight, probably explained the missing. Them ghost lights hang around abandoned mine entrances, Tom continued. He looked like a stereotypical miner. Weathered skin, frizzled gray hair, overalls, plaid shirt, and a ratty wide-brimmed hat. People figure they're the spirits of dead miners. Seen them near this mine since that Easterner disappeared? Yep, but I told you, folks don't usually come this high up. Not with that strange wailing. People don't go messing with no ghosts. Not for some Eastern busybody, anyway. I stopped our uphill hike and listened. A gentle breeze wafting the scent of pine down the aspen-covered slope was my only reply. We resumed walking. Well, there she is. Tom announced minutes later. He pointed toward a timber-supported hole about three yards square in the hillside. One of the oldest and most dangerous mines in the area. Going in without a guide would be foolhardy, he grinned, displaying a gold tooth among his pearly whites, and held out his hand. I paid him for his services earlier, but I dug another ten spot from my pocket. Better to overpay the locals than end up stranded in a mine. Tom buried the bill in his dirty overalls. You're smarter than that last Easterner, he commented. He didn't want to spread the wealth around. He jauntily hiked into the main entrance, pausing only briefly to turn on his flashlight. I followed cautiously. I'm not claustrophobic, but the ancient excavation didn't feel right to me. Dust fell from the pitted timbers, and sounds like falling rocks echoed from deeper in the tunnel. Plus, it stank. Not just of dust and rotting wood, but something acrid. Unidentifiable. What's that smell? I asked. Tom sniffed the stagnant air. Old explosives, probably, he said. You'd be surprised at the kind of stuff they used to use. Just then, our flashlights played across a heap of rags on the passage floor. Is that a backpack? I ventured. Though covered with dust, it looked fairly new. My guide knelt and examined it. Maybe the one the Easterner brought with him. He walked further down the shaft, calling, You in here somewhere, you bushwhacker! I inspected the backpack. It had a folding shovel strapped to one side, a small pick to the other, and inside were various supplies, plus a whole lot of dynamite. Either this guy came overprepared, or he was a nut. Tom stopped shouting and cocked his grizzled head. You hear that? An eerie whistling sound echoed up the tunnel, starting quietly and then building until the trilling dislodged dust from the ceiling. Are those the ghost whales? I asked. Ghosts! Tom scoffed standing a dozen yards deeper in the mine than me. Likely just the wind blowing through the cracks in some blocked-up mine entrance. Ghosts are for suckers and... <laughs> he screamed as the cave wall next to him collapsed, and a black ant the size of my agency Studebaker grabbed him in its gigantic pincers. My forty-five sprang into my hand, and I put a pair of shots into the giant insect's head. One pierced a monstrous eye, but that didn't save Tom. The creature dropped his crushed body and turned on me. My next shots took out its other eye, but it still scrabbled down the shaft towards me, undeterred. That's when I remembered an old science movie that said ants use their antennae as much as their eyes to find prey. Two well-placed shots took out both antennae, and the monster fell, disabled but not dead, a half dozen yards from me. The abomination's twisted bulk effectively filled the passage. The tunnel quaked from the giant insects thrashing. A choking dust fell from the ceiling. The acrid scent from the crippled mutant almost made me gag, but the awful trilling grew even louder. 
I suddenly realized that where there was one ant, there were bound to be more. I couldn't help Tom, so I scooped up the nearby backpack and retreated down the passageway, trying not to trip. Cold fear shot down my spine as a second ant pushed past the first, callously killing its struggling fellow as it came. And behind that, I spotted the heaving black bodies and glistening predatory eyes of even more. I discovered a nest. I managed to shoot off one of the new ants' antennae as I ran for the tunnel entrance, but when my colt ran empty, the monster kept coming. I quickly unlimbered the shotgun from my back and blasted the bug full in the face. That took it down, but I barely had time to blast the next one behind it. Fortunately, the two big bodies blocked the passage as I sprinted out of the mine exit, but I knew that the ants would soon clear their dead and come after me again. Desperately, I slung the Eastern Prospector's backpack into the entrance, took aim, and hit the dynamite inside with a full shotgun round. The whole hillside shook, and the concussion sent me tumbling, my senses reeling. Now streaming on the Fantasy Network on TFN Audio, it's Vorpal History. Every episode, we take a look at historical events so fantastic, you might even think they were true. We start with the founding of the Dunwellmish colony in North America by unwanted adventurers, explore how necromancy shaped future conflicts, and take a look at the effect that talking animals have had on events worldwide. So come along on our delving into the obscure, the arcane, and the unbelievable things that we're pretty sure happened on Vorpal History. The past has never been more magical. Vorpal History on the Fantasy Network. Creator distributed, fan supported. When I recovered, I hightailed it to my Studebaker and radioed for army backup. I took a long drink of coffee. They mopped up the nest, but of course, that wasn't the end of it. Only the beginning. Gigi stared at me, wide-eyed. And we've been fighting giant mutations ever since. I nodded and bit into my BLT. So? She said, taking a deep breath. The Bureau probably brushed off that incident as a mining accident. But what about Mrs. Hayes, the giant woman? Where is she? Maybe we explained Reno, but how are we going to explain her? I heard Agent 8 didn't even want anyone running tests on her. Bill's been reluctant, I admitted. Hedison's cure killed the Mansect, and obviously Bill doesn't want that. The Terragons will work on it, though, and I think he and Donna will come around. Eventually. Their place is pretty isolated, and they've erected a big tent behind his house she can camp out in. Supposedly, it's for bureau storage that was destroyed in the tornado. That should keep the prying eyes away for a while. But they can't live that way forever. What's next? Next, Gigi, people like me and you keep digging. Turn up as much info about these mutations as we can, and find a cure for Donna. Hopefully, before anyone else is infected. This has been an original story of Strange Invaders, part of our ongoing series of Atomic Tales. Brought to you by St. Euphoria Productions. Tonight's episode, Arrival of the Ants, was written by Stephen D. Sullivan. It was produced, edited, and read by Christopher R. Mim, and featured Gwen Ruhoff as Agency Secretary Gigi Brock. Be sure to tune in next month for more Atomic Tales. Please support the films of Christopher R. Mim at SaintEuphoria.com and the work of Stephen D. Sullivan via his Patreon at PaySteve.com. 
Join the conversation at the Monster Conservancy at SaveMonsters.com. All elements of this episode are copyright 2022 by their creators and may not be reproduced or reused without permission. Atomic Tales and Strange Invaders are trademarks of Stephen D. Sullivan, all rights reserved. This is the St. Euphoria Audiocast Network.